to Who All Gonna Be There, a podcast by artists for artists. We talk cash shit about everything. Sometimes we get messy. And it all counts as art because we say so. I'm Mel. I'm forever a black, sometimes a woman, and always an artist. So you know what that means. Ten jobs to pay thrice the amount of bills. This week, I'm Donald Trump's handcuff designer, Chloe Bailey's image consultant, and I'm currently on the mergers and acquisitions team to assist with the purchase of NBC by Jonathan Majors. Yo, what's up? Maximiliano here. Um, yeah, I had I had some clever things, but Melanie's cleverness out clever mine. And I can't think <laughs> of my things anymore. Um, so I'll just move on to the next part. How to support NTP. NTP has a Patreon page where we have exclusive podcast episodes, which are only available behind the paywall. And we get extra messy. Um, so if you want to hear an explicit Melanie, subscribe to our patreon page uh, <laughs> check out our etsy where we have all of our uh, merchandise all of our publications our totes our buttons um subscribe to us on itunes leave a review um follow us on soundcloud youtube stitcher facebook instagram um at nat turner project email us at nat turner project zero at gmail.com um shout us out and maybe we'll read you on our podcast so today, we are excited to have longtime artist, friend, conspirator, and all-around badass Vo with us. What's up, Vo? Hello. I'm excited to be accepted into this upper echelon of society <laughs> with you both. Been just waiting on the wings for years, and now I'm here. Yeah, as, as, as tastemakers, you're now, yes. you're now a taste. Um, cultural leaders yes. yeah um ingenues <laughs> <laughs> i would say i'm a bad taste sometimes i'm sometimes i'm a bitter taste i would oh. say like a a fernet sorry me us plebs don't understand i don't like know that, what that like fernet is like a that licorice like liquor oh. um i was thinking more like a mold wine maybe 
Why are you making a face? That's what? I feel like that's a very different profile. Okay. Sorry. I was thinking like the back of a stamp. Okay. <laughs> okay. <laughs> a little adhesive. <laughs> um, I'm gonna wrote, I'm gonna read Vo's bio now. Um Vo is a <laughs> Vo is a radical educator of 13 years in over 20 countries in radical justice, um, and racial justice. Intercultural communication, trauma-informed care, de-escalation, and transformative justice. They have trained staff from over 300 organizations in Oregon and Washington since Im immigrating to the United States in 2014. Editor of an internationally renowned publication, speaker, curator, artist, and musician who has exhibited and toured in Australia, Germany, Indonesia, the Netherlands, Singapore, Croatia, Mexico, Finland, Denmark, New Zealand, Vietnam, Sweden, Malaysia, and the States local festival organizer one of the festivals they curated is intersect fest a festival for and by people of color now in its eighth year it has featured over 200 black indigenous and poc artists including dancers poets filmmakers curators visual artists and more it also creates space to discuss radical political approaches to community organizing and artistic practice and their visual art they primarily work in textiles embroidery weaving and furniture building. Their installations seek to interrogate power dynamics, structural oppression, challenge histories and realities of imperialism, white supremacy and colonization. They continue to explore support strategies and models of community care within a post-traumatic social landscape focusing on the resilience of BIPOC, LGBTQIA2SQS2S plus and disabled communities. P-U-V-W-X. Um, I had to write that for my MFA. You know, they, they oh. made us write a bio. And I never imagined that it would be read out loud so many freaking times. So I'm going to have to make it shorter. It's yeah, it's deeply uncomfortable. <laughs> we usually like give that. Melanie the long bios, but. Yeah, you do. I was being nice today. <laughs> nice. Uh, yeah, my bio is super short. It says nothing about me, really, but. It's very generic and easy to read. So, um, all right. So we want to ask you some questions. And the first question is the question we've been asking every guest since um, early 2020, which is, how are you? How have you been doing? Um, uh, <laughs> that's a complicated question. You know, I'm still, I have whiplash from the beginning of this year. It's it's April. Uh -huh. I still am like recovering from January 1, I would say. Um, so it's just been a weird, uh, yeah, a weird of a year. Um, what have I been doing? I've been parenting a one-year-old and trying to balance that with the rest of the world because I still want to care about the rest of the world, but it, it kind of is, it competes for your attention for sure. Yeah um and also sleep is almost not a thing so just tired you know um and just reading a lot of reddit and uh, it's like my i can't read i can't read books anymore because uh the light will like wake up the kid so i i have to like read reddit under the covers to oh. get to try to get to sleep but it's become my new like safe place now reddit the reddit homepage um Yep. Um, that's what I've become. And I'm like wearing a lot more tracksuit pants and uh 
vomit stained hoodies. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And uh, losing my identity as a parent is what I've been doing. Yeah. And uh, just trying to figure out like what from here, like how, how, to, how to carve out like some kind of purpose and meaning and how to rejoin the world of the living kind of too. That is that is a lot. Can I ask, like, what what about January caused this like whiplash? Oh, uh, my kiddo turned one, and they have some like health issues and developmental issues, and that's just like this interesting time when kiddos like become they just learn so much and they kind of gather so many new skills. Mm-hmm. Um, so they became more independent at the same time, having like exponentially more needs. Yeah. So yeah, just be, being someone's carer and like coming to terms with they're my only kid and coming to terms with what possible futures we can see for them, um, not knowing all the information yet. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, parenting is. I can only imagine that. I mean. Parenting is hard, but parenting in this time must be incredibly difficult. Um, But yeah, you mentioned losing your identity. Uh, Yeah, I think there's like something weirdly hormonal that happens that your kind of existence starts to um, uh, center. You also lose words and you lose your memory. So that's what's going to happen a lot right now. Um, it gravitates, mm-hmm. your brain gravitates around this new person. Um, and it's like kind of like a David Attenborough documentary where like I just become an animal that is viciously protecting my child. <clears throat> so, um, and then after a year of that, you're like, oh, wait a second. I'm more than this, but who was I again? Yeah. And I think not just being a parent, but with COVID, like trying to figure out what art and art practice means or if it means anything at all, you know, in that context. I mean, to be fair, um, you had questions about art and art practice meaning anything before Bao. So like, I mean, has ha- have those doubts deepened or are they just kind of like being reshaped to fit parenthood um they've deepened in the way that like again I don't want to get too wooey or bioessentialist about it mm-hmm. um but I was the person that happened to be gestating my kid and there's something like interesting that happens when you create life um from nothing and um <laughs> but no there's just something like visceral I'm not I'm a very disassociated person. I'm a very heady person. I tend to completely forget that I have a body. Um, I tend to forget to care for it. I tend to forget that I'm an animal. But all of those things came into play when I uh, started, like, germinating this, my spawn. And I was like, oh, I'm, like, suddenly weirdly tapped into this, like, bigger life and death. Yeah vibration like I can't believe I just said vibration but yeah um just just accessing something that I'd never accessed before which is become like falling into this rhythm of life on earth in a very specific way it's so weird it is so weird but it's instinctual it's primitive it's like all of these things 
And so that gave me some perspective where I've just been way more tuned into bigger life and death situations, I, I would say, in the last year and a half. Yeah. Um, and can I ask, what is currently making you happy or content or relaxed right now in the midst of all of this? Besides Reddit? I mean, um, tell me about Reddit. Like, Yeah, I think it's just the home. I just go to Reddit, today's top posts, uh-huh. and it's always a mix of like feel-good content, really wildly interesting facts. I think the subreddit is called That's Interesting. I don't have a handle, so I never post. Oh. Um. You know, there's, there's sometimes, like, some current events, but it's always, like, just some weird factoid something. There's, like, white people Twitter, I think. It was, like, part of it, which is just, I don't know, white folks, whiting, I don't know. Yeah. Um, yes, I love lurking, and um, I just, I do love the feel-good content and, and the, like, whoa. Like, you know, the other day they posted, like, the Maglev train. It's the fastest train in the world. And it was a video of the train. And that was interesting to me. I never, when do I get a chance to see that, you know? So, yeah. um, nothing profound. And then the other thing is, like, Instagram, I think it's called the Good News Movement. Some of it's, like, a little bit exploitative or, like, tokenizing. Yeah. But generally speaking, it's mostly cute babies doing cute stuff. <laughs> Well, like, you know, like someone who who wasn't able to see their whole life, like suddenly gets surgery and has their vision restored and it's like their first moments of seeing, stuff like that. Okay. Do you use TikTok at all? No, no. I would say I'm a light lurker on Instagram, but mainly my my friend and ex-housemate's thread because he just posts endless memes, like socialist and anarchist memes. They're really funny. I don't ever look at Facebook and um, I'll, yeah, nightly between the hours of one and 3 a.m. I will look at Reddit. I think, yeah, I think you could enjoy TikTok. Um, it's good to enjoy during your Reddit time. I also feel like it's really like easy to curate the stuff you want to see on like TikTok, like mm. maybe even better than Instagram. I can't um, listen to anything. Though. It has to be quiet. Oh, a lot of TikTok like oh. thinks about that and there's like more accessibility TikTok where they always have like captions and stuff like that. Mm. So there's like, you can like, there's so many TikTok holes that nice. you can like fall down on, but there's tons that are like, you know, like text based or whatever. Cause like I listen to TikTok all the time without audio. Mm. Um, and, um, but there's also like so much content. If you just like want posy content all the time of like babies or like, goats or like animals and stuff like that they like nice. you can like curate it all I nice know. but there's also like political stuff if you want to like have like anarchists half anarchists like half babies like tiktok and like that's what that. instagram gives me which i'm pretty happy about um but yeah i think also like i only joined facebook for the first time i think six years ago so i'm just i'm just a late joiner so i like will delay the tiktok thing probably for another half a decade and then when everybody is over it then I'll probably join. That's fair. Um, so I know that you work in a variety of different mediums. Um, you're you I met you through comics, but you also do work in sound, you do um, you know, textile-based work, you like do all of this work with DEI and um, trauma-based um, 
um, education, care and edu education. Um, and I'm wondering, like, what is your art's origin story? Like, how did you get started in art? Um, remember? Yeah, I think, like, becoming an anarchist, like, at 12 or 13 came first. And, like, just knowing that there was a shit going on in the world that really sucked and being really pissed off about it in, like, seventh and eighth grade and going on walkouts and protests and stuff at that age um so I'd say like the radicalization came first and my household and my family dis disapproved really strongly of anything creative so I had to like play music in secret I was not allowed any drawing implements um actually and I just so I didn't really start drawing until about eight years ago when I just just a few months before I moved to Portland was when I first started drawing um and so I'd say like that is when I started to step into like you know I really like doing this visual art thing um but before that my the only things that I was kind of permitted to do was writing so I just came in through zines because at least typing wasn't a forbidden medium for me so I typed I wrote handwritten stuff I photocopied it um so I'd say, I'd say com coming in through secret music like secret bands that I was in and then zines and then when I finally like moved here and like had my own life a little bit away from restrictions and also had resources I wasn't squatting anymore I had like a home a room with light for the first time so I could actually do things like draw mm -hmm. um and then comics for me were just an extension of like writing but I actually like have ADHD and I find write, reading text really actually pretty hard so it made sense for me to finally make things in a format that I could actually consume, which was illustrated stories or comics. Yeah. Oh. Um, yeah. Uh, th I think that's mainly it. I, 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 I remember when I was like studying architecture when I was younger, I really liked the idea of trying to be a populist artist, whatever that meant, or a populist designer. So I knew that, that I didn't want to create for the elite. And I knew that I wanted to do things that were accessible and approachable and understood by anyone, regardless of their educational experience and regardless of their content. Like, so it didn't have to have lots of references or, you know, it was obscure in any way. So I think comics, writing, and now some of the stuff that I do, especially the public education stuff, is still on that same plane of being accessible to as many people as I can be without obscuring the information too much. Yeah. Would you say that accessibility is like your top priority within your practice? I don't I don't even know if it's accessibility. It's more like broadness. Okay. Um it's yeah, it's more like uninstitution deinstitutionalization or something cuz like every year that I've lived in the states I've tried to make have a public free program so that anyone could come and learn stuff. Um, outside of whatever I was doing um, so it's, it's just like a, a format to say people should be able to access stuff without having to qualify in some way or be part of an educational program or be part of an organization to access this information and of course accessibility is important but I'd say like the first touch point is um, some kind of openness or broadness
Um, I'm curious, like you you have your hands in so many things. Um and Melanie kind of addressed your art origin story, but I'm curious about like how you got into like punk and your uh like punk origin story. Well, I so I see this note here where you you mentioned meeting me first at Blackwater. I don't remember. I thought I first met you at a barbecue. See, I I don't know. I I I feel like I remember that we talked about this, but maybe we never actually had this conversation. I just like had this memory, but maybe mm-hmm. I don't ever shared it with you. But I feel like I had shared it with you. I was at Blackwater like a long ass time ago, and you were actually handing out Intersect Fest flyers. And I was like at a booth with like a white person, and you just like went up directly to me and like handed me a flyer, and like ignored everybody else. And I was like, "What is this flyer?" <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, "Oh, this sounds cool." Uh, but but that's what I I remember. But then like later on, it's like, "Oh yeah, that's that was dope." But <laughs> I don't. That's okay. like before I ever knew. I remember that. I remember the interaction of like handing because I didn't do that very often, and that was just one time where I was like, "I really want to make sure I." share this with this person who I see over there so I do remember that I didn't remember it was you but um I think the ignoring piece is pretty typical of like my life in lots of ways of like this is who I'm talking to and I don't care about everybody else (laughs) up here right now um so you maybe broad isn't the right word but um yeah um but yeah uh and then I kind of got talking to you at a barbecue yeah i remember like yeah because i remember like yeah like going to your a backyard barbecue and i think it was at your house yeah um and then but still like knowing that through more like punks like connection than anything i'm gonna do with like art or like art related stuff at all yeah and i remember having my mind blown because i was like i'm a pretty curious chatty person and i kind of kind of really annoy people a lot when i first meet them because i'm like what about this? What about this? What do you do there? What's that like? So I totally interrogated you and I had my mind blown because it was the first time I talked to a contemporary artist who lived locally and the work you were describing, especially the shoes off the bridge, making everyone walk there. And then, and the, so I was like, I'd never talked to anyone who was engaged in contemporary art at the time, um, besides like when I was a kid going to museums and stuff. So I was just like, what this is so brave and so cool and this person is just like doing the thing and I just didn't know that people could just do this thing I thought this was a clubhouse that was closed um and everything that this person is describing is really cool and really meaningful and a little bit naughty like a little bit not allowed you could tell it was not allowed you know and that like it would piss people off and I was like this is so cool um so I was super excited about that conversation and it probably did plant some kind of seed for me to later on be like, you know, I might try some contemporary art stuff. And uh, and also for those that don't know Max, I asked Max to be my mentor during my MFA. Um, not just because of that interaction, but because I just really appreciate um, Max's perspective and approach on art. But yeah, um, so yeah, the question was about being punk, but I just wanted to, <laughs> kind of marry that with the the art thing because you're punk as fuck in your art practice and that's what was so exciting about talking to you because I was like oh it's not just stuffy you know rich white people painting landscapes of the beach you know and a bridge um so yeah uh being punk um 
DIY, still DIY, um, you know, not being good at things and just trying, still still do that in art. Um, like constantly trying new skills and being terrible at it, but just being like, eh, at least I tried. I made a thing. That's pretty punk, I'd say. The messiness of it, like being comfortable with imperfections and not having to be a master at something. Um, what else? The the unspoken, unwritten network of people throughout the whole world that has shared this kind of um, shared kind of like a a subculture, and like that's probably how I try. Like I obviously have traveled a lot, and it and it looks like I'm just super rich, but it's because I was a punk. I was able to do that, like show up so many different countries and continents with no money, and through a friend of a punk, could crash somewhere for like six weeks or you know or like just have someone show me where I could find like under the table work or whatever but that's all punk to me um and then the other things around being punk and again I'm a punk I'm a metalhead I would say or I'm a punk that listens to metal I will just say that like I'm I don't there's a lot of punk that I don't really like or listen to uh I like post-punk more than anything but um being punk um and and how it relates to art is just like the constant desire to subvert something and not just being anti it but wanting to turn it on its head and and ask like what if we what if we didn't do it like that what if we did it like this um yes it's going to annoy some institutions yes it's not the status quo yes people aren't used to it but just let's just try it so I think there's just like a lot of values that punk has instilled um, and I'd say that probably came probably one or two years after I became an anarchist um, because obviously protest was connected to like public shows and all ages festivals. And so I probably accidentally fell into and being vegan as a, as a kid, all that stuff was connected. Yeah. Cause I think that's like always interesting to think of like, um, yeah, I feel like a lot of people find out about like anarchy through punk, but then like the other route of like finding out about punk through anarchy um like cool or and, and specifically like I didn't I knew I didn't want to be a communist so like so like being like oh I'm definitely not a communist I'm definitely an anarchist but I don't know anyone else who's an anarchist who are they where are they in my city and at the time it was Sydney and where to find them at these all ages festivals and shows was only at punk shows and then later on or around then I also was straight edge and vegan so just kind of finding finding different types of values in those scenes I will say um and then um following up with this you mentioned like our uh, intersex fest being in, in its eighth year and um you know I mentioned the flyer so I wonder if you could um talk a little bit about intersex fest like what it is and yeah I try not to talk about store for the future yeah I try not to talk about the fest too much because it started off as literally an open call that I was not even a part of. Yeah. Um, like a group of people who I don't even know who the original group of people was did an open call nine years ago um, saying, hey, we want to do a punk festival for, for POC. Um, who wants to show up at the meeting? And then like a bunch of us showed up at the first meeting, you know, and then in the second meeting, it was maybe less than half of us, maybe three of us. And then the third and fourth meeting, it was, I think, four of us. Um, for the for the first year, it was like four of us, and then one of them moved back to Australia, 
um, and one of them moved away from Portland. So then it was two of us. And then the two of us did the next year and the next year and the next year and the next year, even though we kept opening it up and being like, it would be great if more people wanted to get involved. And we did partner with a lot of people and that seemed to be a more comfortable model for Portland. But again, with the punk DIY vibe, a lot of people were super uncomfortable. And even in the first year of the first meeting, people said, the punk thing scares me as a person of color. I don't feel like I I can access it. So can we drop the punk part actually? Um, so yeah, so I, I, I neglect, I, sorry, I'm reluctant to talk about it sometimes because it's not my, it wasn't, I didn't start it. And, but it just like, I just, it just ended up being like, well, no one else is carrying it on if I don't. So I'm just going to keep doing it. And that's actually how my zine started. I didn't, I didn't mean to start a zine, but I just like kept carrying it on because no one else would. Um, and that's like the curse of being loyal and the curse of like being the type of person that likes to finish things or just like keep going, plodding on along with things. Um, and so that, speaking of that curse, uh, we did like I think one or two online ones during COVID and then I took a break from parent for parenting and then this year it it won't be a conversation until around September is when we start talking about it again and then that's when I'll check in with my co-organizer and be like what do you want to do um but I I try to make it pivot to whatever's going on in the in the world at the time uh we've had really amazing collaborators um yeah and you know including Nat Turner Project and it's been like always very different every year is always very different and I think that makes people uncomfortable too when things are just a little too varied year to year um people like to know exactly what they're walking into so yeah it just always is what it can be when the time comes that's the best I can say (laughs) that's like an interesting thing and thinking about like um you know wanting to like you know have like a freedom of like change and like you know going with the flow and going with like what exists in the air right now but versus like yeah like the idea that like oh there's also this like audience space or like participant base and kind of like wanting to like you know accommodate what their wants are and you know like what you were saying earlier about like people wanting to expect the same thing year after year and like building off that versus like change i think yeah i was just like curious about like um that navigation between like projects and like participants and then like visions versus like i guess like also like at, with like nat turner project we're always like like how do we like serve the community how do we like make sure we're still like doing things that make us happy but like how do we how are we doing both and like how are those things always like shifting and that's a big question but <laughs> yeah no i think that it's less about audience and more about the time like the time of the world that we live in in that moment and so kind of even like the two online ones or there's a one, one on, I don't remember, but um, but I think, you know, whatever was happening at the time required us to talk more about abolition, obviously about abolition, because we talked, there was so much around defunding the police. Um, I'm trying to remember, but yeah, the, I think the year before that, there was like a lot around, a lot of around trans and BIPOC health. So, you know, it's so, so varied. And um, I think the year before that or the year after that, there was 
just models of mutual aid and um, also like a report back. There was, there's a London festival that is now like humongous, but it was inspired by Intersec Fest. And so it was a report back from those organizers and it was like a live um, performance by like a black punk band. Um, so that, that, I don't know, just like a little bit of a feedback loop, um, a little bit like what is missing right now. I think that when we started, there was no other like BIPOC general spaces. There were maybe like um, like spaces for black families and, and uh, like during the year, but that it wasn't like arts based or it wasn't music focused, for example. Um, and there wasn't any markets at the time for like BIPOC markets. So there's so many of those things now, right? And the, there's there's been things that have like existed and died in that time. But when uh, we started, I remember doing an interview with Emily Prado of the second year and her question was like, why? Like, where did you get the idea of doing this? And why, why you know? And I'm like, because it doesn't exist. And like, it should, we should have a, a marketplace where BIPOC creators can like make some money and meet each other. And we should have, um, you know, uh, like a space for indigenous like films and, um, you know, celebrating like some first food, first nations foods. And, you know, so I, I just, it's different now. And so now that we're in a different time where a lot of those niches have been filled and they exist in a really sustainable way and they're more specific, we don't need to do that. So that was a really long-winded way of saying just seeing what is missing and trying to fill those gaps and the thing and really happy that there's like other things that exist already where we don't have to repeat the model that we did seven years ago eight years ago i'm curious because like <clears throat> as as um you know folks who also create um spaces that are filling gaps um one something that has come up and i've noticed it with other other organizations and other people is that they feel this tremendous amount of pressure when they're the only ones doing that thing in that moment um and they feel this pressure for it to be successful and for it to be sustainable but it sounds like what you're doing is you're kind of adjusting um as the need changes and I wonder, like, does that decrease the amount of pressure that you feel when you're creating these, like, opportunities or these moments? I think with everything that I do, like, my consulting work, whatever, all of everything I do is work. I'm trying to work towards obsoleteness. I've always had the model of if I stop having to do what I'm doing now, then that's ideal. Mm -hmm. And that's kind of where my 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 professional work is going. Like, I'm trying to that peter it out by in the next you know 16 months um same with like intersect festivals always like and i'm hoping it does kind of end in maybe one or two cycles right like one day we'll have a meeting and be like there's you know there isn't really anything that we need to do there's plenty out there let's call it and and it's and it's done so i i maybe the pressure is off from the beginning when your goal is to not exist okay I feel like um no. I was gonna say, and then like that model probably comes becomes from being a social worker. Mm. Like that's something you tell yourself as a social worker or as a teacher. You want to give someone skills or give someone capacity until they you don't need need to be there anymore. And so I just maybe translated that to everything that I do. 
there was a there was a time when um that was like the ethos of the artist right was to be this self self annihilating nothing was to everybody's an artist we shouldn't rarefy artists there shouldn't be a specific class for artists um let's eliminate art as this um distinction from life so all true artists should be trying to eliminate art and eliminate the occupation of the artist right melanie <laughs> and the, and the industry which is the thing that creates the pressure in my opinion like the I mean, yeah the productivity and the pressure to be prolific is what yeah. I mean, I, I, I think I operate more from the idea that like we're all artists and then some of us put labels on it and some of us don't, but I guess that's another conversation. <laughs> that is another conversation. <laughs> it is and it isn't. Like I yeah, and as you know, Melanie, like it 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 only took me up until maybe this or last year where I was like, I guess I'm an artist. Yeah, and which so is crazy to me. It's still crazy to me. I'm still a little uncomfortable using the terminology, but definitely three years ago, even though I'd grad just graduated or about to graduate, I was like, ugh, blah. like I just couldn't say that I was an artist. Yeah. Um, and that's probably because the canon is pretty inaccessible or the ivory tower or the idea is a very white middle-class thing or whatever, all of the reasons that did, just doesn't feel like it's for people like me. Um, so it is still a work in progress being comfortable with that label yeah yeah I mean that label has been appropriated for like the white upper middle class money laundering Ponzi scheme that is the art world was it it wasn't like appropriate it was it, that's where it or originated no, because artists were artists existed before all of that. No, but like we're talking about like art in like a white Western European context of like um, the art market and like art values and like collections and museums and like. Are you talking about artisans art. versus art artists or like? Craft? Because I think like the the whole like this is something I feel like the whole conversation we're like framing in these contexts of like art as a separation, and it's like oh if we're going beyond like the white European canon, then like we don't even have that distinction of art because again, art is in the everyday. Art is like right. everybody is the artist. So like the idea that there became a time where art was separated was like the white people were doing that. And to say that like that became some growth of itself versus like the white people started the art economy and the way we like think of value. Yeah, I'm going to blame the Italians and I'm going to blame the Renaissance. Um, I'm going to blame the royal families and the church. Yeah. I guess that's fair. They're all white people. <laughs> and then... Uh, money. I'm going to blame the finance bros who started museums in American university systems that meant to model European systems of value. Yeah, I would say we're the, old, we're the old finance bros, not the Italian city-states. On the Renaissance, well, those were the the De Medici's were the first finance bros. Mm -hmm. As the title of this podcast, thank you. That's the title. <laughs> I mean, that being said, I still want to live in Paris, but that's neither here nor there. <laughs> Paris is the punkest out of all those Central European oppressive historical enclaves. <laughs> Thank you, Bo. There you go, Melanie. <laughs> <laughs>
Actually, what am I talking about? Berlin is the punkest. I'm sorry. Berlin, Berlin is the punkest. Yeah. Paris is the frufruest. Frufruest. Is Berlin more punk than Barcelona? Is it? Uh, I don't know. I haven't been. You know, I haven't lived there for eleven years, so it's probably changed quite a lot. But it used to be. Yeah. I hear Spain is pretty racist, but that's just me. Oh, and the Germans—they're not racist in any way. <laughs> I mean, like overtly though, like super, super, like. I mean, the the Italians are are really racist. I feel like France has this fake idea of like not racism, but France is super racist. I think what we're all agreeing to is that Europeans are racist, which is a crazy idea. (laughs) Um, yeah, I think it really comes down to like where are which of these has the more like thriving black communities i think um so i don't know um poc haiti huh i was like haiti jamaica I'm i mean just, the european no country. i know i'm just like yeah. no no nowhere <laughs> um okay so question so like in in your bio and then and in other places where folks have labeled you or your practice I've often seen the word radical attached um which I think is one of those words as buzzwords that like people say so much they don't know what it means so my question to you is what does that word mean for you Yeah I think it's just one of those delineating words like that has lost meaning over time so like the way that queer used to be used to delineate from like traditional cishet thinking institutional um lgb people Mm -hmm. um same as radical is just used as a really quick way to delineate from leftist or liberal like so just just being leftist or liberal to a radical or to someone who's very far 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 left means that they might still believe in voting and institutions and um systems and leaders and politics you know so, so there might still be some faith invested in that if you're a liberal yeah. and so for me i when i first moved here i didn't know that i i just like didn't understand it took me a couple of years to understand the nuances between like leftist liberal and like radical um but for me it, i just try to use it as a as a pointer to someone that doesn't like systems who who would like to maybe dismantle a lot of systems or at least try to work in a way that is critical of those systems as opposed to yay I love the systems um and I want to benefit from them you know I think that's one of the main uh distinctions for me but I don't necessarily even again identify with that word because both word radical and both word queer are very kind of white middle class words or like even ad- academic in some ways um but i'm using them outwardly to delineate uh to, so that people can be a little clearer about where i'm coming from so they're basically just kind of like uh like markers right for you social indicators yeah um yeah. but but i don't connect to a lot of the words that i use for other people to understand who i am yeah that's fair I don't want to like super change the subject, um, but 
with all this talk of labels, I'm curious um, about your record label. Wow. <laughs> oh, nice transition. <laughs> and if uh, you could speak a little bit about that. And I know you just like had a recent release as well. Yeah, yeah there's a release that's coming out in the end of the month. Yeah. Har, 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 by the way, um, for that transition. <laughs> the right segue. <laughs> Um, actually, it's a repress. So it's a repress of uh, a record by two bands called Thou and Ragnar. Um, Thou is a radical leftist anarchist metal band, doom band, and Ragnar are a queer anarchist uh, duo. Um, and they're kind of more black metal than doom. Um, and it's their split LP. Um, my label, to kind of keep it short, started in 2009 as a response to uh, fascist, Nazi and racist and sexist and anti-Semitic bands that were really prominent in New Zealand and Australia and in other places. But because I was in Australia, this is what was surrounding me at the time. And I was also the target of a lot of these racialized campaigns. Like online, um, there's this website called Stormfront. But anyway, lo long story, but... I was, uh, whenever I was playing a show with my punk band, um, that might be mentioned in the, in the chat for people to like come and show up with whatever weapons are at their disposal. You know, it's just like, just like drumming up, uh, hate, hate activity, I guess. Um, because, because I'm not white and also I might've like challenged some ideas of what they thought like an Asian so-called supposed femme looks like acts like anyway so uh around me were just a lot of um sketchy uh people and they were getting away with it there were a lot of really successful metal bands uh in sydney and australia that were just being rewarded and they, they were total pieces of shit who uh were like openly anti-semitic openly um racist uh, openly like supportive of Hitler like it just I mean Australian Nazis it just like doesn't even make sense but it was real so I had to start this label because again at the time so the, again being like what isn't there that in the world that I want to exist which is a, like a feminist queer anti-racist black metal label so that's why I started it and my first two releases were like socialist um bedroom dark depressive black metal people um and it kind of just started from there and now I think I'm like at 36 or 37 releases some it's all analog so like it's not very digital friendly like I don't release online or through platforms I always try to make sure the bands keep their online rights and I also my shares like compared some record labels like give bands very little but I always split everything 50 50 which means I like usually don't profit in any way which is fine um so I just have like a lot of rules around my label um yeah yeah um yeah yeah so I'll keep it short but there's like a lot more I could say about this but it's been over a decade um and I it's cassette tape and um vinyl do you press in Portland or is that somewhere else um, no, I press them in the Czech Republic because then I can send them to my European distributors from Czech. And then they and then they also send them to me from Czech. Hell yeah. I'm gonna ask a stupid question. Mm -hmm. 
why do you want to keep it analog? Um, again, like I'm a very, I'm a creature of habit. So I think I just do it because I did, okay. you know, I started it that way. So now, but I think, um, the other part of it is that I'm, I think a lot of bands, when they first start working with me, they're like, are you sure you don't want that, the rights to this? Are you sure you don't want, um, to be able to claim 50% of royalty, you know, all of it. And I'm like, yeah, I'm not trying to make a business out of this. And I also didn't make the music you made the music so why would I want any benefits from you creating and putting work into writing and recording this music um so for me like record labels are just part of the colonial machine that are usually really gross and profit from people doing the actual creative work and I just had a really strong from the beginning ethos to not try to be profiting off someone else's creative work and that includes online rights um <clears throat> thank you for sharing that i feel like i feel like i could ask you a whole set of interview questions just about your record label but um we have we have a fixed amount of time and i want to be respectful <laughs> for it um and i know you work in like a variety of media um and i was aware of this one performance that you did at congress yard projects and i was wondering if you could uh are you seriously asking me about the performance we did together okay. as if you weren't right. as if you weren't part of it? What? I think Melanie may have written this part. I'm not sure. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure Melanie wanted to ask you about the performance that you and I did. That's weird. I don't I don't know if I did that part. I don't know. I don't know. Oh yeah, I think I recall that. Um I think someone in the Zoom room cut my hair as part of that performance. I still have that that haircut, the same haircut. Yeah. I still have the the garment as well. Oh nice, nice, nice. Yeah. I mean what do you want me to say about it that you don't already know, mate? Why don't you talk about it, mate? <laughs> Come on, bro. Um, there was a so Vo Vo and I we did a performance at a Congress Yard Projects, which is like a backyard yard space, um, in like 2020 or 2021 or something. Um, that like Mac McFarland had like curated as like a response to like COVID and stuff. Um, March or April 2021 because I was pregnant. Okay. Oh. Yeah, March or April 2021. Um. <clears throat> And then it was like a, it was like a sound movement, garment, material piece. Um, There's a lot of elements, and um, yeah, we performed. Um, I I think I didn't know I was pregnant, and part of it was me standing in a garden, and Max watering me with a hose. So take what you will from that fertility ritual. Wow. Um, but yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I think I just want an excuse to make a weird garment for someone that moved in it, that could move into it. And yeah, it was a little bit redonkulous for sure. It was bulbous and weird shaped. Um, but I just love, um, I love trains, like capes that turn into trains. And I love that they keep the memory of where you go, especially when it's wet and there's mud. And um, so that's kind of, I was excited to do that. Um, yeah. And then also love the like one-timeness of getting your hair cut like a I had really long hair um and Max braided it and cut it 
and and the piece was kind of about grief and you know what you leave behind on when you go when you die so it was you know yeah and um yeah i was like wearing a garment that bo had created um but i really appreciated the garment because like i'm really into like being able to like um you know like disguise the body or morph the body through movement and garments like in the ways you can like create these things together um and i thought that like that garment was really successful in the ways you could like confuse the body i guess the, the ways you're like what am i looking at is this like the head or is this the butt or you know what am i looking at right now yeah yeah i love disguise i love protection armor um yeah wearing trauma that kind of thing um, just so you know, you're going to hear the sound of my kid having a bath for the next 30 minutes. Just heads up. <laughs> do they enjoy the bath or are they, do they just loudly not enjoy the bath? Depends on the day, but I think today they'll probably enjoy it. Okay. <laughs> so, okay. Speaking of that performance, I, that I, you said that was in 2021. So like, not only was it mid COVID, but it was also post mfa work that you were doing so i'm like wondering like has your practice changed significantly after um your mfa education um or has the way that you shift the way that you think about your practice changed as a result of that education um mm, yes and no so i think that i like tried to um, I wrote, I tried to write an a grant application last week and I, re I realized that I had done some processing because I'd taken about a year off um, to be, to parent and that time had actually kind of helped me consolidate some stuff. So it's the same in the sense that care is still my central motivation. Like how, what, how do I provide care in different ways through visual art or other things um, and a community aspect of around that care and at the time I was studying I was working full-time as a director of programs and my social work practice and my training and education practice was my job which was very separate to my to the art stuff that I was doing but since leaving that position three years ago I have had some freedom to be like actually this is part of who I am is the educational piece the, or just the, I don't even like the word education the sharing of knowledge mm. so that people have knowledge to then navigate their own lives and provide care for the, each other and themselves so I would say care is still central the idea that we live in a post-traumatic um, state and that we're probably always in crisis mode those things are still central to how to how I understand what I do I think that in the last few years I struggled to know how how much I wanted to live in poetics and how much I wanted to live in didactic, you know, modes of just like telling people stuff directly of like, this sucks, this is good, you know. So I had like two, you know, solo projects, solo exhibi exhibitions in 2021. And one was very abstract and poetic about colonization and being a settler colonizer. And the other one was very didactic and very, finger pointy and guilt producing because um, it was in the Northwest. So it was for a rich white crowd. Um, and people responded, <laughs> you know, people responded to them in very specific ways. 
people lapped it up, you know, like they loved it. But I, I remember thinking, hmm, I now have a compass of like, I want to be in between these two things. I, I still want to engage in poetics, but not so abstract that people don't know what the show is about. Mm-hmm. And then I don't want to be so didactic that I'm just lecturing people, which that show was definitely lecturing, but like I like disguised it in a way that was, because it was textiles, like it was less, like less, you know, blunt. People were like, oh, so pretty, soft. But I'm also being completely told that I'm a bad white person. Um, yeah. So I, I think even now I'm like still kind of balancing like poetics versus but um how best to how best to create care and not just guilt. Right. And um how to balance poetics and like creation of beauty with having someone walk away with something that changed their daily existence a little bit. Like I do want to make people's day better I do want them to walk away with something if not knowledge then a tool of some kind or a strategy so I I know now very clearly like where I exist um after I've had that year off to think about it do you feel like there's value in guilt um I don't know because my whole life is completely defined by shame and guilt right so um yes and no you know there's the value of that it's created like interesting people and like I would include myself in that statement I would include maybe people in this zoom room in that statement um but yeah I would say shame and guilt are not desirable or like ideal in any way but they're unfortunately they exist and they are ways that people have tried to portray information via parenting for example um and it's created some really cool people um but yeah I would love to not perpetuate that so I I'm hoping to kind of perpetuate that a little bit less moving forward um I guess I'll ask my last question um to to be timely um do you what uh yeah like what uh upcoming um projects do you have that people can look out for or things you're excited about in your future um yeah it is like it's slow it's really slow trying to get back into things i proposed so part of my application was proposing this like year-long um think tank slash creative laboratory and i really hope that they think about it because i would really love to um lead it's like a two-tiered creative lab um with two very different modes um for a year um yeah I know and I'm just like and it's paid you know people in it will get stipends and stuff I just really hope they at least consider my application but um I realize that I really do want to use some of my like facilitation skill to just extract rich collaborative art from people or cultural cultural work from people um right now I think I'm in one show at the Schnitzer Museum of Art downtown till the end of the month in Portland and I today opened a show in Cleveland Ohio till like June 25th or something um I it hasn't been announced in press but I did get the confirmation that I'm in the show so it's like do I I don't I don't know if I'm allowed to say it but um I just got added to the Converge 45 Biennale for fall. Yeah, and I'm excited about that because it's 
an international group of like folks the theme is really something that I have always been excluded because I kind of use that as a theme like global citizens um you know activism that has always been the reason why I didn't belong in academia it was always the reason I was kind of shunned in my art program and I was also shunned in my architecture program so to have a show that's kind of themed and I think this is because of COVID it's like themed on making you know political change as an artist I'm like yay like maybe I found my people or maybe it's okay to like do the thing that I do already so I feel a little validated in that but funnily enough the show, the work that I submitted is not that political it's more poetic so um but but it's still personally political I guess I should say um I'm excited about that that's like five weavings that'll be in that show um I guess they're all weavings all of those things are weavings um and then I applied for yeah two things that I'll just say that I hope that I get considered but I won't know until yeah um but yeah it's just like along the lines of yeah, care and um, trying to apply like direct care to people who who want it, who consent and ask for it. Yeah, cool. that's it, really. I uh, it's a lot, actually. I, I also want to make space for fun. I don't know how I'm going to do this, but I do. I have the like I have a you know an anarchist parenting podcast, which um the next episode will come out this week. But I think oh, I want to make space for like. Wait, what is the, what's the name of the anarchist? It's parenting? called Anarchist Parenting and Families. Yeah. Okay. yeah. Can you send us the link so we can put it in the show notes? Oh, sure. Yeah, yeah, I can do that. What, what, uh, remind me again, because I'm new to podcasts, what kind of a link would you like? Like, what platform of the link? Um, like, I think they, like how they can find it. Like I think I have they... Apple, Spotify, and one other one. Which one would, iHeartRadio, which one would you like? Uh, give us a Spotify one. Okay, cool. I tell people to find who are going to be there. It's like, just type in who will be there. Like, yeah, yeah. I'm like, why don't you? Don't yeah, type yeah, okay, in I'll... that Turner Project because you won't find it. So I was like, type in who right, are right, going right. to be there. Yes, let me put it in the note. Oh, I don't, I can't put it. I'll email you. Okay. Um, but I do, my point is I really want to make space for fun. And um, I'm trying to build out at least like once a month-ish where I can just make something because I want to try it. And because I want to make a pretty thing or because I you know want to just weave for meditation and no other reason um so I, I hope that I can maintain that um just because so yeah all right now I'll ask my final question um it's a fun one what kind of art are you getting into these days like what movies are you watching or like tv or music that you're listening to mate like silence has been my soundtrack for like I don't know how long like I don't remember what music sounds like anymore um but Melanie knows like if she mentions any musical artists from North America from after 2001 <laughs> I'm like a what a who now so yeah uh yeah what can I say so yeah I am just like supremely uncultured in some regards oh. Even i run a record label who does that uh i come from the land down under i don't know the men at work is that maybe? the men at work yeah <laughs> I, I know that one song <laughs> that's the one i where, know where <laughs> women chunder i think they chunder is that, what um, is that, a woman chunder? Is that an yeah. australian term chunder? do you know what chunder means it means 
vomit. Oh, really? Yeah, yeah. I'm pretty sure that's the lyric. Messing with me and you're completely making it up? Or I, that would be very Australian of me to do that. But since I'm from New Zealand, I would never mess with you. I think the lyric is some binary gender chundering. Okay. Yeah. Um, but yeah, uh, yeah, what kind of art? You know, it's a stretch. I wanted to make it to um, some of the stuff at Oregon Contemporary mm-hmm. that being uh, curated by Homeschool. I had good intentions. Um, so that I can list things that I almost checked out. <laughs> but uh, things that I actually checked out was probably just shitty dating shows uh, on Netflix. Love is blind. I, Love is new, blind. Uh, new episode yeah, came out mean? today. The main one that I want to address is the one in Paris, whatever it's called. Dating. Oh yeah, I started watching that. It's pretty good. But... Okay, but you, okay. you need to keep. Yeah, keep going. Tell me anything. What do you think? Okay, okay. Um, Yo, but actually, just... like French, the ultimatum. Oh, is that good? Well, I just, I'm just interested in like non-American stuff because I'm like not American and also I'm surrounded by American stuff constantly. So generally when I look on Netflix, I'm like, ah, a Korean dating show, ah, a Japanese dating show, ah, a French one. Like it just is a relief to my sensibilities, I would say. I mean, not to be an asshole, but I feel like (laughs) any other culture of dating is better than the American (laughs) <laughs> well, the, the reason why that Netflix, the one, the queer one that I can't remember the name of, yeah. is good is because they at least address that. They're like, they're like, I think we're being too full on for the French. Like the French, are, the French really take making out and kissing seriously, you know. So there's like some discussion. I take around. that seriously. It's called Love Trip. Yeah, Love Trip Paris. T- yeah. Terrible name. Terrible name. <laughs> I know. <laughs> But that to me is part of why I watch it is like the discussion around the differences in priorities and like behavior, you know, because I was shocked when I first moved here. I was like, I thought like you, you, when you verbally express interest in someone, then you basically have to marry them. Like that's kind of (laughs) my only understanding of dating. But when I got here, people were like, whoa, (laughs) chill out. (laughs) And I'm like, I don't, I don't understand. What's the problem? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, vagueness and obfuscation seem to work well in the dating world here. But... Yeah. And you know what's really interesting I've noticed when watching Too Hot to Handle slash Love Island slash uh, Love <laughs> is Blind is that the Americans, the American contestants are way more into gameplay. They're like trying to win that money yeah. and they're open about it. And then there are like other contestants who aren't American who are like, I'm here to actually find love. And so it's interesting even just watching the kind of calculatedness versus the like, I just literally came here for the reason I was told that I'm here. I do think dating is very much unironically connected to capitalism here. Like, oh yeah 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 instagram like catalogs versus yeah. tinder catalogs but, like, like, but it's not pick, unwitting pick i think catalog. people know and they just don't care so like yeah mm. it's interesting i think they care but like how do you what do you do what can you do about it what do you Talk do about to it? people in person <laughs> like consider your friends as like that as like people that you know really well Maybe they can be dates. Maybe it doesn't have to be someone you pick from an online catalog. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. That's just nonsense talk, though. That's just analog. analog. That's like... analog, Vo. 
I think that's the name of the title of this episode, Analog Vo. If you can't touch it, it's worthless. You'd rather have like a real catalog than an online catalog. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, is it a zine? Was it photocopied or very cheap? Then I'll look at it. Thank you. <laughs> On a photocopied catalog. <laughs> but I mean, no, like I'm old, so I'm old fashioned, you know, like I do literally remember like my music taste was curated by catalogs because this was pre-internet. So like I just like would read a blurb and be like, that sound, this Greek, you know, black metal band sounds great based on this description. I'll order this CD for $35. Um, so yeah, I, I'm old. Yeah, finding but, uh, out about record distros, like independent record distros was the hardest thing. It was such a game of like a pen pal. Yes. You would yeah, send totally. people empty a blank tape and they would send it back with the music on it. So good. <laughs> and I actually just got a bunch of blank tapes um, because I was like, I'm going to go back to taping the, sorry, uh, recording from the radio. That's a lost art as well. God, I'm so old. But my point is that I, yeah, record, pause, rewind. Oh, no, that's too much of a gap. Um, Got a little bit of the commercial. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You can remix by going in between the songs. You can't cut off any songs. has to be whole songs. You know, all the rules. Um, but I also respect everyone else's, like, ways of dating and stuff. Like, that, in case that needs to be said. Yes, me too. <laughs> Yeah, online, I respect it. It's just, I just don't, like, get it. <laughs> and it's also too vulnerable for me, like, mm. yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. Wait, that can't be the last, the last thing I can't, it can't no, be. No, we, we have parting words, so I yeah. had a chance to, to smooth it all out. I, like, words. tried to join Hinge the other month. And I could only make it for like an hour before I like just deactivated. I was like, mm, I can't do it. I can't. It's so frightening to think that people just judge you based on a photo and you're like, but I'm interesting, I promise. But they, there's no way. I think in like Hinge, you can like type that stuff in, but I don't know if people read it. It's not enough to like be like, I'm like, how do I communicate that I'm annoying, that I'm a nerd, that I know really obscured information about really random things? You know, like you just can't. Some people just like bullet it in their bios, though. They're like nerd, annoying. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> That'll do it. That'll sell me really well. Just annoying. <laughs> but yeah, please ask me one more question so that this is not okay, a last. One thing. more question. Okay, I do. I did want to ask this question, but I thought we were tapped for time. But I really want to know. So, like, you've been doing DEI work for a long, long time. <laughs> okay. fourteen years. Fourteen yeah. years. Yeah. Um, back back when people didn't know what DEI was, yeah. but obviously in the past three years, there was this huge surge of like the terminologies, um, the work, quote unquote. <laughs> um, and I wanted to get your thoughts on like that surge and like if it yeah. has had any impact in that industry in any real way or like any good came of it. Right, right. I mean, I can't speak for the whole, the whole, the whole complex, the DIJ complex. I can say that, like, I work a little bit in retail and private, but mainly nonprofit, mainly homelessness, social work, youth work, and arts organizations, and maybe muse and museums, um, and galleries and stuff. So, those in those realms, I just try to be 
as pragmatic as possible of like, what do you need? What do you most need? Like, let me talk to you and find out what is missing right now. Sounds like you don't have knowledge around how to deal with the fact that you're in inner city establishment right next to an encampment and you're right now in a crisis mode because you don't even know how to like respond to folks that are experiencing houselessness. They're still people. So maybe those folks need a, just like a, you know, crisis 101 mental health training or de-escalation training or trauma-informed care training, which is what I will do. Um, or some people have been doing like social work uh, for like 10 years and they know all about that, but they're at a point where um, they're still not serving many Black communities or Indigenous communities. So it just like depends on the thing. Um, all I can say is like, you know, it, if no one wants to do anything, then nothing will happen. So I, it doesn't matter whether I'm there or not, but if no one actually wants to change anything, then nothing will change. Um, so I have a really, one, I'm trying to like transition out of the work. It's been 13, 14 years. I'm pretty done. Mm -hmm. Two, I have a high, high uh, filtration device. So if I sense any fragility, any defensiveness, any clinical behavior, any professional distance, any dubiousness, any lack of trust for me, any hesitance to actually apply any of this stuff, I'm not going to take them on as a client. So I have like, like, I probably was, I was not at all this discerning three years ago, but in because I started working for myself exactly three years ago, I've built that filtration up a lot. So now I have I just don't have the fucking capacity for um for bs um yeah yeah so i have to know that it, that people are really trying and that they really want it and if they don't then i can't work with them and um, you found that there are people who really who actually want it yeah yeah and then there's also people who like now i'm checking in a year two years later and their 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 culture is completely transformed they they've stepped you know people in power have stepped down it's like the leaders are different or maybe they have horizontal leadership they don't they no longer have a hierarchy um because you know who cares about leaders you know it's not about like just putting a different a token in leadership but um the cultures have changed so like you know just while they're while I'm talking about it there's like definitely examples where the cultures did not change and they, and I had to like extract myself from that work because I was like this is not gonna work y'all aren't really like you're y'all aren't really invested in this so I can't keep working with you but there are places that like just feel different and they feel you can tell that there are people who are centered like black and indigenous folks who are centered and they're not only are they like centered but they're celebrated and they're like they're they've made the that's the norm in that place now and it's not like whiteness is like a minority or like on the in the background so just like seeing norms change is really nice at least in particular microcosms and then seeing how that also changes how a client or like someone who's super marginalized or living in poverty houseless etc experience as a space the difference between five years ago when there was clear anti-blackness and they couldn't even get the services they needed versus like now where they're like it's like a trans only or a black trans only space and there's other people that they can hang with and they become friends and it's like a community thing as well as a service so I won't like blab on about it but I'm just I'm just saying like there's checks and balances that happen after three years okay yeah
Um, but all of it is bullshit. And, you know, like these systems shouldn't exist. Like I said, social work shouldn't exist. You know, all these organizations are gatekeeping in some way. And like w- the ideal is to not have any gatekeeping and not have those people metering out little grants or little, you know, like little opportunities. It should be no barriers. Everyone should get all the things all the time. Um, but because that industry still exists, we're just trying to like reduce the harm that's caused as opposed to like eradicating the actual systems. I always like go back to like these like cheesy like anarchist slogans that I would always see on like different flyers and stuff, and like when everybody, when somebody says like um about like gatekeeping, I was like oh yeah like the world's best when like there are no gates or like with the like the grass is green when there are no sides, um was like one of the ones but one of the old ones I always think about is like even if the world would end tomorrow, I would still like plant a tree today. And there's like an anarchy sign in the tree. <laughs> but there's one other one that's like, um, it's like, no, we don't want um, the bread. We don't even want like the bakery. We want like the whole grain field or something. I don't know. But... Are these proto memes? <laughs> um, yeah, they were, I guess. Is this pre memes? Okay. I've never heard any of the things that you just said. <laughs> and also, I'm like, what kind of hungry, dirty capitalist are you that you want the whole grain field? Like, yeah, I think it's like the, want the whole grain field. You should be the sharing the grain field. Yeah. Um, it should be everyone's grain field. <laughs> um, but yeah. Yeah, I just wrote down like my favorite is smash the cistern, and cistern is colonial language for a toilet. So. Oh, oh, yeah. Cistern's like a, a reservoir, too, though. Yeah, 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 yeah. Smash the cistern. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Hmm. Maybe you could make t-shirts or bring those back. <laughs> make some money off of it. Yes. <laughs> make, sell them in, at auctions and make big, big chunky money out of it. Now that you mentioned it, Chumbawamba, right? Ah, <laughs> uh, the anarch- all the anarch- anarcho-capitalists' greatest dream is the Chumbawamba <laughs> narrative. Melanie, if you're not familiar, it's like Chumbawamba is like everyone, every anarchist's favorite example of like, see? So they started off as like Wait, an they're anarchists? Well, they used to be. I don't know if they They were like an anarcho-punk band and then they had like a big pop hit with the... I know the hit. Everybody yeah. knows that awful song. But, but like... all their other songs are super like anarchists. They're like, oh. give the anarchists a cigarette. They're like, um, every fire needs a little bit of help to burn it down. Nothing burns down by itself. That's Chumbawamba. I just the, know them as that one song I danced to at horrible frat parties in college. So like exactly. So like exactly. <laughs> I mean, is that an ideal narrative for just <laughs> like entertaining frat bros? Infinitely? <laughs> um, the question is, are they still anarchists? I don't know. I don't think so. But I don't know. Maybe Can you I'm still wrong. be an a- anarchist after you're like a huge pop hit with? tens of hundreds of millions What's of the dollars. thing about uh having second lives in america or um second chapters second chapters i think it's about what is your indicator of success is it do you center the experience of the frat bro is that still is that your most important measure of success or you know or 
all the 12 year olds that we talked about earlier, like impressing, impressing uh, them or, or if you don't care about the audience, you know, I th- yeah. Impressing a 12 year old or impressing an older 12 year old in the form of a <laughs> frat bro. <laughs> Correct. <laughs> That's, That's the, the art market. That's the art market. <laughs> I mean, correct. I think that when I was in a band, like more, like a band that toured, like you know, Asia and New Zealand, and um, it did become uncomfortable. I think I was in my uh, mid to late twenties, like twenty seven at the time, twenty six at the time, and like yeah, playing shows and then realizing that most of the people who are really excited are like you know in their teens or maybe early 20s yeah there's just a realization of like is this really how I'm measuring how um how I'm performing in my like life like do I is this the main thing that I want to be doing is impressing this specific demographic or do I have maybe other dreams about who I want to be in the world so Well, I think that's a good note to end on. Thanks for letting me blab. Thanks for talking to us um, and answering our questions. What are these notes? These six degrees of separation. Oh, I these are stories I thought about mentioning. Like I, I had a story about David Attenborough, but nice. that's, that's a different story <laughs> for a different day. <laughs> nice. And no, I'm not an air sign, but I am ruled by air, which like really pisses me off. Because you're a Taurus, right? No, I'm a Cancer. Cancer, I knew that. Yeah, I know, because we're both watery. But I'm like Gemini moon, which sucks. And then I only realize, I thought I was a Virgo rising, but I realized recently that I'm a Libra rising, which means I'm double air. That makes sense, though, about the things you were saying earlier. I don't like it. I don't like it. I I thought I was more grounded, but I have zero earth in my sign. I'm just all hot air. Cancer is kind of like the Taurus of the water signs. Yeah. You mean the boring, repetitive, stable, secure? Yeah. That's the one. <laughs> yep. Yep. It's true. Parting words? No, Parting words, Max. You're up first. Um, thank you uh, to Vo. Thank you for being our guest. Thank you for coming on our podcast. Um, thanks for uh, chatting with us and sharing about your life and your art and your experiences. I really appreciate it. It's been a lot of fun chatting with you. And um, yeah, I just really had a good time. And thank you. Thank you to Vo. Thank you to Melanie. Thanks, y'all. Um, and I'll go next. Um, thank you. Um, like Max said, thank you for coming on our show and chatting with us. It's been a long time coming. Um, it's been really fun catching up um, and hearing you talk about, for me, hearing you talk about your work is always fun. So thank you for sharing. Um, Thank you, Max, as always, for being a very lovely podcast co-host. Um, and thank you, listeners. All 10 of you. I appreciate it. <laughs> All right, Vo, you give the final parting words. Cool. Well, thank you. I love you both. It's a, always a pleasure to chat with you. So um, thank you for pulling me out of my monotonous drudge of a life. Um <laughs> If anyone wants to be friends with me on the Instagram and see one post every seven months, um, uh, yeah, find me on uh, uh, at and out recordings, um, HTTP forward slash forward slash semicolon. 
Um, but yeah, I don't know. Thank you for talking, and I'm looking forward to seeing you in person at some point one day. Um, and I don't know. Thanks for listening. If you made it this far, congratulations. <laughs> Good job. We actually reveal where the treasure is buried now. So. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Good night, y'all. Thank bye, you. Y'all. Bye, y'all. Have a good night. See you. Bye. Bye.